Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Daniel Dombey. It's been like an elephant giving birth, but perhaps even more protracted. After the longest coalition negotiations in its modern history, Germany has finally settled on a new grand coalition government. Angela Merkel gets a fourth term of office, but the SPD, Mrs Merkel's reluctant partners, who scored barely 20% in September's election, will vote on whether to make the coalition deal reality. Not coincidentally, they get a slew of big jobs, including finance and the foreign and labour ministries. The coalition agreement also reflects the Europhile priorities of SPD leader Martin Schulz and might give new impetus to French President Emmanuel Macron's EU agenda. So what does this deal mean for Germany, Europe and beyond? I'm joined by Guy Chazan, VFT's Berlin bureau chief, and Alex Barker, his opposite number in Brussels. Guy, has Angela Merkel just given away the farm to keep in office? Well, that's certainly the way a lot of people in her CDU, the Christian Democratic Union, see it. There's been a lot of anger over this deal. There was what one CDU MP famously tweeted yesterday, few, at least we still have the chancellery, which kind of sums up the mood in the party. There's tremendous anguish at the fact that they've had to abandon the finance ministry, which was long seen as a CDU bastion, especially under Wolfgang Schäuble, who had the job between 2009 and 2017, and really was the most powerful finance minister in Europe, and indeed one of the defining figures in in the Eurozone and of Germany's Europe policy. So there's a terrible angst in the party now that they've given the keys away to the SPD, which is basically much more of an integrationist party, very, very open to the reform proposals that Emmanuel Macron has put forward. Yes, Alex, I was going to ask you about that. Obviously, Mr Schultz has talked about the goal of setting up a United States of Europe. Does this coalition agreement, what that means for the Schultz agenda, does that translate into fresh wins into the European project sales? Well, I mean, to start with, while we've been waiting for a government here, Brussels has been almost in suspended animation. There's a lot of expectation about what is possible over the coming year. And this is certainly a coalition formation that will encourage those who think the political moment is ripe to do something ambitious and serious. At the same time, those who are more cautious look at the coalition agreement and see there hints of willingness on the part of Germany to really throw themselves into a big reform effort. But in the fine detail, a lot of it throws in jargon words, hints at what's possible, without really having the specificity to be confident that Germany is really up for the kind of ambitious reforms that Emmanuel Macron in particular is seeking. 
And what are we talking about here? If you could give just a little bit more detail on this, Alex. I mean, we're talking about a European monetary fund. We're sometimes talking about things on the budgetary side. What do you would you say are the two or three really contentious issues here where there may be a little bit more symbolism than substance on the German side? Sure. Take the Eurozone reform first. It's very carefully couched. So there are words mentioned around the European Monetary Fund changing the way that the backstop for the Eurozone works. There is a mention of bringing that into the treaties, which is something that the European Commission have been looking to do. But at the same time, it says, you know, we're not going to water down the control that national parliaments have over this, which is, of course, a big issue for the CDU. They don't really want to be in a situation where they're relaxing their hold on when mutualization happens in Europe. One area where you saw certainly a different emphasis was on the EU budget. And there, the document's pretty clear about saying that Germany's willing to pay more, to do more. Usually at this stage of the long term budget negotiation, the Germans are much more kind of reticent. They previously had kind of stick to a 1% of GNI limit. And this time they're shooting over that uh, immediately. That is a big change. And that will make this negotiation potentially easier as they set the kind of spending over the next seven years. What they're more careful about is they mention a eurozone budget, stabilisation. They don't really go into the detail of what that means. And looked at with sin Eyes, you could say quite a lot of what's in there could be wrapped around what was German policy prior to this agreement. Now, Guy, are we all getting ahead of ourselves here? I mean, is there any risk that the deal might go down? You've been very alive throughout to some of the dangers of this negotiating process. Is there any chance that it might fail, that the SPD might not vote for it? Might it not last for four years? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the coalition deal now goes to a vote among the SPD members, all 460,000 of them. We're expected to see the results on around the the 4th of March. And there's definitely a possibility that they will vote it down. I mean, there's tremendous resentment among the sort of SPD grassroots about um, the last Grand Coalition. Basically, a lot of members blame Mrs. Merkel and the CDU-CSU for their dismal performance in last September's Bundestag election. They just feel it's almost like a curse. Every time they get into a coalition government with Ms. Merkel, they lose votes. So they just feel it's now time for them to go into opposition and renew themselves in opposition. And this was the narrative that was being pushed very strongly by Martin Schulz, the SPD leader, immediately after the election. Now, he's done this rather sort of embarrassing volte fast where he's basically not only taken the party back into government with Miss Merkel, but having said that he would never serve in a Merkel-led cabinet, he's now becoming foreign minister, which is drawing gasps of incredulity among many SPD members. I think that has led to this wave of cynicism where a lot of members are saying, well, you know, you said it wasn't about ministerial posts, it was all about policies. But look, I mean, you know, as soon as you get the chance you're going back into the cabinet and taking all these nice ministries. So I think there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of feelings of betrayal among SPD members, which could build up a head of steam in this referendum that they're now having. But on the other hand, members could just sort of say, well, look, we've got a pretty good deal. You know, we've got all these ministries. We're really going to be able to put our stamp on the next government. And we also got a lot of our policies in the coalition agreement. So it's tricky. My feeling at the moment is that a majority will vote in favour, but it's going to be tight. 
And Alex, we've talked about Martin Schulz, but there's also, of course, Olaf Scholz, who is the uh, man who's been set out to be the next finance minister and as such one of the most powerful people in the Eurozone. What is the difference that he represents with Wolfgang Schäuble, his predecessor, but one here? Well, I mean, one thing to remember is how powerful that finance ministry has been on Europe policy over the last 10 years, primarily through the Eurozone crisis, but also through the force of character of Wolfgang Schäuble. So that is a big role to fill. The dynamics within the Eurogroup will change quite dramatically. And how he plays that role is going to be fascinating. One area that is a bit less remarked upon that I think will become a bigger and bigger political issue through this year and actually was one of the areas where the coalition agreement was clearest was on tax and there there is a clear willingness to work with the French to establish a more harmonized corporate tax regime. They mentioned the gaffers, uh, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, in the coalition agreement, digital taxation is going to be very much on the agenda. And I think there are politicians in Paris and Berlin who understand the kind of political buzz that this topic has and see the potential to make headway in somewhere where the EU has traditionally been incredibly slow because it's an area where it needs unanimity. And I think the Eurogroup and ECOFIN, this arrangement of EU finance ministers, is going to be really looking at this quite carefully over the next year or two, I think. Guy, to what extent is this the last hurrah of the old political order? I mean, we now have the right-wing AFD as the official opposition in Germany. This is the third grand coalition in just about 13 years, where the two main parties have just decided to block out the political landscape for themselves, even though they're getting ever more diminishing shares of a vote, with barely 50% of a vote between them. If they don't get this right, to what extent is Germany just up for grabs? I think what we're going to see is a continuation of this fragmentation that we've seen in the last few years. I think, you know, it's not like the parties are just going to be wiped from the board like the socialists were in France, for example. They'll still be there. You know, the SPD is definitely going to be a force to be reckoned with in four years' time. But they're going to be slightly diminished. And I think that's going to be the case for all the other parties too. And at the same time, the AFD, the Alternative for Germany, will continue to grow. I mean, latest polls put it at 15%, which is is much higher than the 13% it got in the elections last year. So they seem to be on a sort of upward trajectory. The FDP, the Liberal Party, which is led by the very young, charismatic Christian Lindner, who is also very anti-establishment in some ways, he has some wind in his sails as well. So it's definitely the case that I think the political landscape in Germany is going to stay fragmented and probably get more so in the coming years. But probably it's not going to change as dramatically as it has in other European countries like France and like Italy. And Alex, to what extent is this Europe finally getting its act together? We had the very dramatic French elections last year and since then we had this four or five month hiatus in Germany. To what extent now that we look like we've just about got a new German government, does Europe really get motoring again, do you think? Well, I mean, certainly the conditions are really quite dramatically different from a few years ago. There's a boom in the economy. There's a kind of renewed political confidence in Paris in particular. And now is the moment to prove the kind of high-minded talk can be turned into policy. There is a little bit of nervousness from the other member states about the Franco-German alliance clicking back into action. It's the prerequisite to doing anything in Brussels. 
But, you know, there's a tendency in Paris and Berlin to think that once they've agreed on something, it's the kind of end of the discussion. And for some of the member states around here, it's actually just when the discussion starts. That's going to be particularly obvious, I think, on the long-term budget. Some of the net contributors, the Dutch, the Danes, the Finns, are already feeling a little exposed by Germany being more willing to chip in more towards filling the kind of gap that was left by Brexit and new projects that the EU wants to do. And that dynamic will do interesting things with the kind of alliances within the 27, I think, over the next couple of years. On that promise of interesting things, I think that's all we have time for this week. So thank you very much indeed to Guy Shazam and Alex Barker. Until next time, goodbye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.